Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. I just want to say before we get into the word, I think that Doxedo Fijar Park is a singing church. Yo! <laughs> it's amazing to hear the voices of this church on a Sunday. Any, anyone like me? Come on. <laughs> We are a singing church, and it's beautiful to hear your voice. Even if you can't sing, Brent, it's beautiful to hear the flavor of God's voice uh, as we gather here to worship. It's one of my favorite moments of the week. It's my privilege tonight to share a bit with you um, out of the Word. And we are in the second week of our uh, series called Discipleship. Now, once a year, in the beginning of the year, we as a church wants to come together and align our hearts, align ourselves again with the great commission of Jesus. We want to say, Lord, what are you busy with? We want to be busy with, with that as well. We want to keep our hearts, our energy connected to what you are busy with at the moment. And what is the great commission? Can I just hear quickly? Jesus said to his disciples, what? Go and make disciples. I want to say it very clearly tonight, friends. As Doxadea, we are not in the business of building a brand. We are not in the business of uh, getting people to attend our church meetings. We're not building a product we're, for this one thing. We want to make full-blooded disciples of Jesus Christ. People who say, Jesus is my first priority. He's my king. He's my Lord, full-blooded disciples. Every community group, every course, every Sunday meeting is to this one end goal, to make disciples, to make full-blooded followers of Jesus. And before we start this sermon, I just want to quickly show you a definition of what a disciple looks like. Oswald Chambers said the following. He says, discipleship means personal, passionate devotion to the person, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between devotion to a person and devotion to principles or just a cause. Our Lord never proclaimed a cause. He proclaimed personal devotion to himself. To be a disciple, listen here, is to be a devoted love slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yo, what a big definition. Some of us, when we read that, you immediately go to that place of guilt. You immediately go to that place of disqualification. And you, you say to yourself, well, I start the year well, and I say to myself, yo, this year I'm going to be devoted to Jesus. I'm going to read more, pray more. I'm going to be more in church, spend more time with my Lord. And somewhere in March, that just disappears. And you start to fade. <laughs> Mediocrity creeps into your life. And then you argue to yourself and say, well, then I mustn't be a real disciple of Jesus. I'm one of those second grade Christians, geletterdheid Christians. <laughs> I'm one of those guys. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not the real deal. I'm, I'm, I'm taking Christianity light. And here's what we want to do in this series, friends. In this discipleship series called Devoted to the Ways, we want to make a shift in our devotion to Jesus. And we want to look out of the book of Acts to the first disciples and see why they were so devoted to this person, Jesus Christ. So let's re read quickly in Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bible 
or your phone or your tablet. Uh, if you know it by heart, anyone? Okay. Acts chapter 2, let's read together, verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Imagine next Sunday, 3,000 people rock up here. Awesome. <laughs> Listen here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to praise. What happened is these new disciples, they received the message of grace of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. They received that message. They got baptized, very important. And the next thing you know, they devote themselves to certain things. Now we must know there's no handbook for these guys. I mean, they were the Acts 2 church. They didn't know they, the, they were the Acts 2 church. It came naturally. Out of their meeting and accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, what naturally came of that is devotion to Him. And listen to that very, very specific word. They devoted themselves. It wasn't the pastor or the priest or the prophet that devoted them or made them more devoted to this person. They took ownership and responsibility of their own devotion to this man, Jesus Christ. And last week, we saw how they were devoted and how we should devote it to the apostles' teaching, the Word of God, the living Word of God. And this week, we're going someplace very exciting, the fellowship of believers. Or in this church, we, we speak about community, community. Now, every one of us know that it's a very big challenge. If you want to change your lifestyle, amen. Everyone over 25 says yes, amen. It's difficult. The fact of the matter is it's really difficult to actually stick to it, to this healthy new lifestyle. It's difficult to break unhealthy habits. It's difficult to learn some new healthy habits. And all of us know if you want to you know, devote yourself to a new sport or to a new lifestyle or to a new art form or whatever, you need the secret source of devotion. What is that secret source? It's people around you to keep you accountable, to motivate you when you're down, to call you up and say, come on, you have to be here today. We need people. Here's the fact, friends. Studies have shown that the health of your peer group is the strongest predictor of your own health. Another man said it like this, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Now, for a moment, just look at your friends quickly. Are they healthy? If you want to look at your future, just check your friends in terms of your health. Here's the thing, friends. You can't have more than one fat friend, <laughs> okay? I want to call out certain people and say, you can't be friends with me and with whatever, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> we all know it. Your influence determines your future. Show me your friends. I will show you your future. Let me, let me make it very practical in my life. We had the privilege 
at one stage in our marriage to live on a, a, a kind of a commune vibes with students and working people. And we had this incredible neighbors called Henty and Foley. They were fitness freaks. So John and I, every morning at five o'clock, would hear them go out to some place where they lift things and run to certain places. And they, they were the poster children of healthy lifestyle. I mean, <laughs> they looked like golden gods when I saw them the first time. And we became good friends. And they influenced us. So this one morning at five o'clock, I got a knock on the, on the window and I thought to myself, something must be terribly wrong because you don't do that to people. And Henty just said, don't you want to come and walk with me or just go to the gym with me? You can hold my water bottle or whatever. <laughs> and out of that relationship, it grew to a place where we actually changed our lifestyle, started gymming, started running, started eating healthy. And it, we lost kilograms by the dozens. It was amazing. It was, it was crazy. Not the dozens, the kilograms. Okay, you get what I'm saying. Now, you may ask yourself, what happened, Eugene? <laughs> Here's the fact, friends. Henty and Polly moved. <laughs> we got fat neighbors. <laughs> they were fat, eating KFC every Friday. And we got to know them better as well. And we became friends with them. I want to say, show me your friends. I will show you your future. In community or in fellowship, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. If you want to grow spiritually, you have to be connected relationally. You have to move from isolation, isolating yourself. Religion says, I must isolate myself. My faith is a private thing. You have to move from isolation to integration, to be plugged into relationship. The Bible has got a beautiful word in Acts 2 that it uses for this concept of fellowship. It's the word koinonia. Koinonia. It means partnership and sharing. Sharing of goods, sharing of life, sharing of everything that I have. And it's a beautiful thing that we see in the New Testament when a new believer comes into the, the body of faith. He comes to faith. He, got, he, he gets or she gets saved. God doesn't place that person in a system or into a hierarchy or into a chain of command. He puts that person into a family, a family of believers where God is our father and we've got brothers and sisters in the faith. And God puts us together for a very specific purpose. And the one purpose is fellowship. This word fellowship speaks of a bond. It speaks of connection. It speaks of harmony. It speaks of unity. You get to, to be friends with people in church, in the body of Jesus. You get to get deep, godly, intimate friendships for life. I've got many of those friends. In spite of the fact that there might be relational tension or conflict, or pain. You are friends, and you are connected for a greater purpose than just being friends. You are friends, you are koinonia for the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you enjoy your friendships. You enjoy your koinonia with people. 
It's awkward when you say that to someone. Can we have a bit of koinonia? <laughs> you have to clarify what that means to the person. But it's a biblical concept. And today, I think we've, we've got, such, we've got such, a, such a mess sometimes in church because we miss this. The world says separation, isolation. We go against community, against fellowship. The Bible says integrate, closer, one-on-one, personal, deep friendships. Paul said it like this, Ephesians 4 verse 16. He speaks of the body of Christ, the church, from whom the whole body, and then he uses two words, joined and knit together by every joint with which is supplied. When each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. These two concepts, joined and knit. When, when Paul speaks about joined, he's got, a, he's got a certain picture in mind. When I think about the word joined, I think about a puzzle. Every puzzle is unique and it fits together. If you ever feel disconnected from the body of Jesus, that, my friend, is a lie. You are made unique with specific gifts, with specific talents, with likes and dislikes to fit into this body. And then he uses even a deeper word, interwoven, the, the, like a, a Persian rug that you weave together all of these strands to make a beautiful, beautiful picture in the end. You are woven into the fellowship, into the koinonia. God has put you specifically in specific relationships in this body for a specific reason. We see some of the examples of that in the Bible. One of them in 1 Samuel 18, one of my favorite stories, Jonathan and David, they are best friends. And Jonathan comes to a point in his life where he literally laid down his life before David. He laid down his weapons, his possession, even his inheritance. And he declares to David, I lay my life down for you. I will die for you. I will look after you. I am your friend. We're going to have koinonia. I can just imagine David is like, sure, okay. Do I have to do the same now? Do you know my inheritance, my friend? But here's the fact, friends. We get to be in fellowship with one another. In contrast with that, we get a story like Genesis 4, the first sin after the fall of man, where Cain murdered his brother, and God came after him and asked him this very crucial question, Cain, where is your brother? And Cain answers, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to look after my brother? And something happens in humanity that segregated us for how many years? I don't even know. Here's the fact. I want to ask you that question. Are you your brother's keeper? Should you look out for the person next to you spiritually? Are you your brother's keeper? Yes. That is what fellowship is all about. We partner. In Doxodeo, we don't speak about membership. You don't become a member of the church like a club. You pay your fee. You come and enjoy a certain a few nice things, you know, and you leave without any further commitment to the body. No, we speak about partnership because as you get saved, you become a partner with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the members of His church 
in the gospel. You become a partner. You share in that mission. We believe in Doxa that this is crucial to our understanding of church. You are a partner. You are in koinonia. And friends, discipleship happens when this happens. Maybe you think to yourself, well, I'm, I'm a bit stuck in my growth as a Christian. <laughs> this is so important in terms of your growth. I have a three-year-old boy. If he stopped growing at about two, I would take him to every doctor in the world to sort that issue out. And spiritually, some of us grow so fine with it if you don't grow. It's because of this thing. You're not connected. You're isolated. I want to study quickly with you the character of Paul and see what happens in his life because he made a definite shift from destroying fellowship to being devoted to fellowship. The first time we read about Paul, his name was still Saul in Acts chapter 7, and he actually approved the killing of the first Christian martyr called Stephen. Paul was a Pharisee. Pharisees were not particularly, particularly tolerant of new religious ideas. So Paul started to persecute the church. In essence, destroy fellowship. Listen to Acts chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul began to destroy the church. You don't want that written behind your name. <laughs> Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. When last did you rock up at a community group and someone barged in there and dragged you off to prison because of it? Anyone? Our community groups are safe. I just want to say that. Paul started destroying the church. And the interesting fact is, he was thinking in his mind, I'm doing God a favor by killing the church. I'm a devoted Pharisee. I stand for right and wrong. I shall annihilate this mission called the way, the Christians. And we see later on that something happened, something shifted in this guy's mind. And we're going to get there now. But we don't hear of that often in South Africa, where people get persecuted for their faith. We sometimes hear that in the world. We don't hear that often. But here's the fact, friends. There are certain things in our country that destroys fellowship in church. One of those trends is this. People that say, I love Jesus but I don't love the church. I'm in love with Jesus. I have sincere faith in Jesus. I, have, I want nothing to do with the church. Bunch of weird, messy people. And we see these people. They, they have a personal, they have a private kind of faith. It's okay for them to just listen to a sermon once in a while, watch it on the screen, read an article. That is the expression of faith. And we see sometimes that uh, studies have shown us that these people have past wounds when it comes to church. Some of them say that church is irrelevant to them. Uh, it doesn't help them to actually find God. They find God in other places. And most of them has this thing in mind. That church is not perfect. Why would I join it? Can I tell you the truth tonight? Church is messy. There are people involved. If you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. <laughs> it 
church is messy, but it's beautiful. God never said that church would be perfect. You see, sometimes we have this expectation of church. You know, only the perfect people go to church. Can I tell you something? Jesus came for the sick, the broken, the lost, the hurt. Who do you think would you find in church? The lost, the broken, the sick, the messed up people will be here because Jesus is here. (laughs) And you think that all the perfect people will be here. No, my friend. Wake up. You see, a Christian is not someone who's perfect. It's this weird idea that we have. A Christian must be perfect. No, no, no. A Christian is someone who constantly grows in his holiness, who grows in his relationship with God. If you, if you, if you want to check if someone is a Christian, watch them throughout the year. Do they sin less? Do they become, become more Uh, in love with Jesus? Do they love people more? Do they have more grace? Do they forgive quicker? Do they repent quicker? That is a Christian. It's not someone who's perfect. Church is messy, but it's beautiful. And you see that in the life of Paul. He addresses the Corinthian church. He say, my beloved friends, my saints in the Lord, you are the holy ones. And then just after that, he starts sorting them out and say, yo, 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 You are a bunch of weird people. You mess up communion. You mess up sexually. What are you busy with? But he addresses them as holy ones, as perfect ones in the sight of the Lord. Because here's the fact, friends. Jesus believes in the church. Jesus is in love with this messy thing called the church. He thinks that the church is beautiful. It's his bride. He died for her. Don't you for one moment say... The church is this or the church is that. Say that to Jesus first, please. It's his bride. It's his body. It's beautiful, but it's messy because there are people in it like you. (laughs) Another thing that we see in church these days are consumerism. People attend church like they do a rugby game or they go to Woolies or Checkers. They consume, they spectate, they look from afar, they enjoy the word, they enjoy the worship, they enjoy the emotions of church, but they never pay the price of real fellowship. They never jump in with everything into fellowship. Because you see, friends, there is a price to be paid. There is a sacrifice to be made in real fellowship. You have to come to a place in yourself where you you realize that, Church is not about me. I am here to serve. I am here to lay my life down for other people. Church is really not about my needs, my likes, my dislikes. Church is all about serving other people. And you have to admit, I need other people to grow spiritually. You have to come to that place. I need people in my life. To grow spiritually. And sometimes we get, we use such lame excuses to not come to fellowship. Sorry students, come on, exams. How long in advance do you know you're writing that exam? Oh, my cat died. Bring him to church, uh, to community. We can do a little, you know, begrafnissy there, whatever. Don't miss community. One of my good friends said the other day, he said, there's nothing better to do on a Wednesday night 
on a Thursday night to be in a community group. There's nothing better. You will find nothing better in this life to do on a Wednesday night than to be with the people of God in fellowship, in koinonia with other people. We see Paul moved from destroying fellowship to being devoted to fellowship. Just listen to a few verses where Paul explains his devotion to the church. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 28 says, he says the following, There is a daily pressure on me, my care for the churches. My question to you tonight, is there a daily pressure on you, my care for my brothers and sisters? Philippians 1 verse 18, he says, For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Friends, who of you had that experience over the holidays that you, you feel like you just want to text someone and say, I deeply miss you with the affection of Jesus. I had that, I must say. I didn't use those words, but the fact is you, you love these people. You become to love them. You miss them dearly when you're not with them. You miss them spiritually. You see that in your own life if you're not with the people of God regularly. And Paul made that shift. What made him make that shift? What happened in his life for him to actually start devoting his life to fellowship? And I want to take you to this story in Acts 9. Listen here. As he traveled, that is now Saul or Paul, and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He replied, rise up, enter the city, and you will be told what to do. You can just imagine, Saul is like, Lord, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these Christians. Friends, Jesus is so connected to his church. If you mess up Christians, you mess up Jesus. His heart is so connected, but something shifted in Paul's life here. He met the living God. He met Jesus who was so passionate about this thing called fellowship that he was never the same afterwards. I want to show you three last things of this person, Jesus. He's the designer. He's the author of fellowship. And I want to show you three quick things that I think is the building block of fellowship or the building blocks of community. And if you see those three words, you'll probably laugh a bit. I just want to say, you can put it up. It's got nothing to do with what you are thinking about now. Eat, love, pray. Luckily, even the last two words are switched around. So anyway, here we go. Eat. Do you know that Jesus was ridiculed because he ate with sinners? Listen here, Luke 15, verse 1 to 2. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Why did Jesus eat with sinners? You see, if you eat with someone, you establish value to that person. You communicate value. Jesus took the tax collectors, the adulterers, the prostitutes, the murderers, and he communicated to them 
I see you as valuable. I want to chow with you. I'm not superior to you. I want to just have a meal with you. We see that in the New Testament as well, the new Christians, those that devoted themselves to fellowship. It says in in Acts chapter 2, they ate their food with joyful and humble attitude. You see, eating together brings you to a place of humility. You have to acknowledge to the other person, listen here, if you eat together, I'm not superior to you. I just want to chow with you. I want to establish value, communicate value to you. You are special to me. When last did you invite someone just to chow together like this? Second thing, Jesus loved people. When you rock up at a kayer or a braai or whatever, you always see new people, strangers, and you think you've got that moment of eye contact with them, and you think to yourself unconsciously, will this person like me or not? Will we be friends or not? Is he going to diss me or not? Is she going to like just, you know, just put me aside? Or will I find favor in that person's eyes? Will we have a connection? Will we give favor to one another so that a relationship can be established? Here's the fascinating thing about Jesus. Every person that he came across, he gave them that favor from the beginning. Acceptance. That person does not need to prove him or herself to him. He just gave it away freely. Favor. And maybe you're thinking, well... Well, that's Jesus. <laughs> and it's difficult to someone sometimes to love people. Amen? It's easy to love people that are exactly like you. <laughs> With your weirdness. It's much more difficult to love someone that is not the same as you. A very uh, famous children's TV star, Mr. Rogers, said the following. You can learn to love anybody once you know their story. Doxa, I want to put that challenge out there. We need to love more. And how do you do that? Is you just get to know someone's story. If you know someone's real story, it would be easy for you to love that person. With all of their weirdness and kinks and stuff. If you know their story. Jesus knew these people. I must say, I'm at a a blessed place in my life where I came into salvation, into the church, and I was always just embraced with favor. With all of my sin, with all of my issues, with all of my pride, I was always just embraced as a brother in this church. You have treated me with favor. I have these people in my life that loved me enough to address very, very difficult things in my life. I've always just experienced favor and acceptance. And I want that for you as well. The last thing, and maybe we're going to spend more time on this next week, is this. Jesus prayed for people. Romans 8 verse 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died and even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Can you for one moment imagine what Jesus Christ is asking the Father for you. 
What is Jesus at this moment saying to the Father about you? He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. We need to do the same, friends. If we really care about someone, if we really think that I'm not superior, we need to pray for one another. It's easy to say, yo, I'm having a difficult time at Varsity or my business or whatever. Yeah, 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 I'll pray for you. Shop, 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 like a, like a nice, nice, pray. Well, let's someone do it now. Brent said this week, I loved it. He said in our staff meeting, let's not, not just promise to pray for people. Let's someone do it right there. As you say, I want to pray for you. Don't say in the week, now. Let's pray quickly. And just say three or four words to the Lord in faith and say, I want to bring this person, God, before you. Why? <laughs> you can't speak, uh, uh, you can't speak, Skinner, what is that in English? Oi, my English is up. You can't gossip about someone if you're praying for them because you carry the burden of that person as well. You carry the cares of that person in your heart when you pray for them. And next week, we're going to look a bit more into this thing of prayer. Here's the fact, friends. Are you destroying fellowship? Are you devoted to fellowship? Eat, love, pray. I want to ask the worship team to join me. And we have a, an incredible expression for you guys ready for tonight. If you're at a place where you want to declare tonight and make a commitment to say, I want to devote myself to fellowship. I want to say yes to the church. I want to say yes to fellowship with my brothers and sisters. We've got these two stations, the words devoted printed there. We've got paint. And I want you to take your thumb as a sign of your identity and just put it on there with a bit of paint and say, Lord, with this prophetic action, I just trust you that I will be part of fellowship. And I'm going to take practical action this year to devote myself to the fellowship of believers. There's baby wipes, the third wonder of the world there, if you want to clean your hands. And uh, the worship team is just going to minister to us. So let's stand together, and I want to pray for us before we go into this ministry moment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. We just want to say thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are so passionate about your church, the bride, your bride, God. That you are passionate about this thing of fellowship, koinonia. My prayer for myself and for every person in this place is that we would get that same passion, Lord, to be in deep, intimate friendships deep, intimate, real, authentic, meaningful relationships for your glory and for your gospel, Lord Jesus. I pray for every person that's on the outskirts of this church, looking into it, isolating themselves. Lord, I pray for the faith tonight to step closer, to move in terms of their fellowship. God, I pray that we would eat, that we would love and that we would pray for one another, God. That is what we ask tonight in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.